Louis Alsan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Go, we sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing from you. And now you might. Now I'm on. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. All right. You know, we always appreciate the phone calls. It sure. kind of lets us know that people are listening, for one thing. But also, it it kind of puts you off in different directions. Questions that may not have occurred to you to answer. Because you don't know exactly what people are thinking about. Right. You can kind of come up with a topic, as we generally do, something we think and, people might be interested in. And say that works out almost all the time until we get a, a phone call and end up in a different direction for a while. <laughs> well, and that's a good thing. Yeah. That, that's a good thing. Kind of takes you off on a tangent. Might be something. Might be noticed, something everybody needs, needs well, wants to hear. A lot of times you will get a phone call if you think about it and then thereafter you get two or three more calls on the same topic because sure. everybody was thinking that or, or wondering about that and somebody happened to bring it up so there you go anyway that's the reason we always requesting calls 291-6901 erico 225 and we got all our lines wide open that's right and right now is perfect time to get your question answered thoroughly should you happen to miss your opportunity you could always get your questions answered by visiting our website which is agcoauto.com that is a g c o auto.com there's a contact bar on each and every page you click the button fill out the little form and send it on in there you go couldn't be any easier than that that's the second best way to reach us and you know that's where we kind of recruit most of our uh topics a lot of our from. topics come from the email that we receive you can kind of tell from that what people are interested in mm-hmm. certainly when you do a program you won't to do it on a topic that people are interested in most definitely makes it interesting that's right <laughs> and you know we were thinking with the cold weather that's uh-huh. coming i think we had the first major freeze uh we actually had a frost yesterday morning yeah, on the, first on the frost East of Coast the year and a little bit here locally as well but one question that we do get a lot this time of year when the weather starts getting cold is about heaters sure and i thought we could talk just a little bit about heaters yeah uh, not, this... not a tremendous amount of information there but uh some some and if you don't have one and you're in the cold area, you're going <laughs> yeah, you'll know it real quick. <laughs> it's pretty important to you. you know, it's probably not one of the most discussed things in South Louisiana where it just doesn't well, get that cold. Certain but, times of the year, well, you know, get, get November, chilly. December, January, February. Well, it was in, in the 50s yesterday in the French Quarter, and you wouldn't think, 50s doesn't sound that cold. You know, there are people up in Minnesota laughing right uh-huh. now. You know, they'd be wearing shorts, but even the people from those areas they say my god it's cold and it's because of the humidity and the wind and also the buildings in the french Quarter just not made for heat i mean they're they tend to leak and all because they're old or uh-huh. two three hundred year old buildings so when you get cold you are really cold <laughs> well and, and that being said there does there's a lot of taller buildings three stories four mm-hmm. stories plus and it kind of makes a wind tunnel down it the does. streets it does sort of like new really, york really picks it up certain areas in new york where that wind just whips down those streets mm-hmm. i see we got a line right. lit up we got fred online good morning fred hey good morning sir yes sir 2006 emc envoy mm-hmm. the wipers started going stupid on me the other day okay what are they uh, doing my wife was saying she turned the vehicle on, just started it, and mm-hmm. they started up all by themselves. And okay. Basically, running it through the positions, if you, you know, it's the variable speed, and mm-hmm. uh, it goes through, and sometimes the washers will just start going on by themselves if you have it on the first or second click. Hmm. The, the washer, as well as the wipers running. Yeah. And then it'll start speeding up, it'll slow down. I'm thinking it's what do you call it, the pulse control module. 
Yeah, that's what I would think, which is part of the wiper motor itself. It's a little uh, little brain, I guess, inside of there. And a few years back, before the old six models, they had a tremendous amount of trouble with that. I mean, we used to change uh-huh. it. We used to keep two yeah. of them on the shelf all the time. And then they kind of got better, and it could be that this was just got a problem. But, yeah, almost undoubtedly, I would think, the pulse module in the motor and you might see if GM sells that part separately. On some motors, you can buy the pulse module separately. It's pretty easy. It's right there on the outside. You swap it out. Some of them, you have to buy a complete motor. And I'm just not sure on Envoy how they build it because I hadn't seen a lot of trouble out of them. But that's the, the about the only tried, thing that could do that. Yeah, the reading I tried to come up with had those type of suggestions. You know, you start mm-hmm. getting the the people this is what happened to me and they had all kind of crazy things well especially up, yeah the yeah. combination of the wipers and the washers because both of those run through that yeah. one module that's what i was thinking because the switch i mean if you're turning the it's switch, off it, should be, mm-hmm. it shouldn't fail closed it should fail open right well either, either it way it, it can't make the washers start to squirt it can, it can affect the, either the washers or the motor but it's not going to affect both because it's two gotcha. separate switches can you entertain a secondary question sure you bet 95 GMC pickup mm-hmm. throttle position sensor. Mm-hmm. I think that code has has set so many times. But uh, I talked to you earlier about a, a fuel pump issue. I just hadn't gotten to it. This is kind of a project thing. Mm-hmm. But just out of curiosity, if the throttle position sensor goes goes poor on you, what mm-hmm. does that do? What type of symptoms does that? Well, it depends you? on the type of failure you get. Fred, because they, they don't go bad. It's just like people. They don't all die one way. Same thing with parts. Uh-huh. They don't die one way. It just depends on what kind of a problem you're having. For instance, if it's just a glitch in it, it may not do anything but check, you know, throw the check engine light because you may not really notice it. If it mm-hmm. totally fails, you know, catastrophically, then you could theoretically lose your throttle. You can, you know, give it the gas and it just won't go. If it locks in the wrong position, it can give you a flat spot on acceleration. I mean, there's any number of different things it can do. And the best way to check that is with a oscilloscope, you know, with a digital lab scope. If you can put it on and slowly move the pedal up and down, you can see the pattern moving smoothly back and forth. It's kind of difficult to check any other way. If you are pretty confident that's it, I mean, they're not terribly expensive and not terribly hard to change. So you're not going to be out a whole lot if if you just throw it at it and see if that fixes it. We actually change more of the connectors than we do the tps on the on ah, okay. those year models okay. uh the connectors go bad a lot for some reason I'm, I'm, yeah i'm pretty sure i got a fuel pump that's going out on me it's it's more one of those things where the truck won't, won't stay running unless you're sitting there just pumping the accelerator back and forth and it's, it's yeah. and stumbling and yeah. you and i had a talk about i don't think a tps would do that yeah. at least i've not okay. seen it do that idle okay. is not going to really have much effect because it's running through the idle circuit okay I mean, well, if, you, if, you, if you ran a fuel pressure check, you could verify that fuel pump. Yeah. Pretty easy. And yeah. maybe not a simple check, and particularly if it's intermittent, but, you know, there, there's some more involved fuel pressure tests that you can do. But yeah, if the pressure is dropping, doesn't have to drop much. I mean, right. I, I don't know off my head what the spec is on that, but let's say it's 47 PSI. Yeah, this, this one's like 15. It's a 95. It's a throttle body. Oh, throttle body system. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it would have to drop pretty low, probably have to drop in the 10 eight yeah range, something like that something and like that the little diaphragm that regulates regulator. The, fuel, the regulator that regulates the pressure into the throttle body those will rupture yeah and it, and it will actually get too much fuel in there to run yeah, back it drips down into the throttle body so you don't see it leaking but it is leaking and that will will cause all those symptoms as well you might want to check that real close yeah, i've replaced that yeah okay. you have that's what it looked like in fact when i took it apart it looked like you know it, it just 
looked like it had been seeping or yeah, something. Yeah, and it may so have, because that was pretty common. Anyway. Yeah. You, you may but have more than one problem, you know? Yeah, I think I think so. I think basically the, the pressure gauges that I put on it, they weren't holding well, but it went. It, it's kind of difficult. You have to have a little. It only went you, up to like five or six pounds. Yeah. yeah. You got to have an adapter to adapt. Uh, we go yeah. in it to fuel filter. We yeah. take the fuel filter that's out, put the adapter in, yeah. and, and go in from there. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, it didn't put a port. No, not on models. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you, that's a pretty strong probability. You know, because if that pressure's dropping, it's going to be like kind of like it's running out of gas. It's going to start wanting to die on you and not idle right yeah. and give it the and, gas and, and won't pump, go. When the pump shut off, you know, the little pressure I had just went to put went to zero again. Instantly. So yep. it's got a it's got a feedback leak somewhere. It should hold pressure for a few minutes and then leak off, then yeah, slowly drain off. And those pumps are relatively inexpensive. You do have to drop the tank to tank yeah. to them, but they're right. relatively inexpensive. <laughs> you can buy just the pump <laughs> itself. Yeah, it's the work. It's the work on that part. It's right, the, right. The part. It ain't to wrap us a ride, you know. <laughs> right. Well, look, guys. Thanks a bunch. Uh, great show as always. All right, All right man, thank thanks you, calling, man. All right, All right bye bye. Those things have changed up so much, and you know, we say ninety five. It just registers in your mind two thousand five. So you're thinking, you know, well, and and around ninety eight. 99 is when they, all that actually changed. When it so, was a Silverado. Right. T10 to the Silverado. Right. When they changed the body style in 99, uh, 98 to 99, mm-hmm. they actually changed the, the fuel management system yeah, on them. completely. And, and those were pretty robust uh, systems. Those they were. They, they were. They give a little bit of trouble, but not, not much. Not a whole lot. Usually the diaphragm would bust in the regulator or something like that. Right. You get uh, a vacuum leak or, you know, something. It was a pretty, pretty rudimentary system. Yeah. I remember, well, I think I've, we've changed one injector. On uh-huh. one, two big injections. I think we've changed one of those over all the years we've been right. working on. Right. It's usually always that regulator diaphragm yeah, that starts hard, leaking. Hardly ever went out. So. Hey, we've got to take a quick little break. Be right back with a whole hey, lot you. more. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, Make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me if I test stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then, I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that can lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools. We're trying to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And the area code here in Baton Rouge is 225, so you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. There you go. Just give us a call. I'll try to help you out and chat you up. And get you going. There Maybe you get go. you stopped. Just stop. Whichever one you want to do. <laughs> I think stop's more important than uh, going. I guess it is. <laughs> and yeah, we were talking just a little bit about heaters and all. Of course, we'll take a call on any topic. That we will. Have. We're never limited to our particular topic we're concerned with. But you know, heaters have not changed a great deal over the years other than the way the heat is regulated mm-hmm. at one time i guess the old rudimentary systems there was like a water valve or something outside of the car in one of the hoses this is like in the 1950s okay in fact actually 
most of your 50 model cars, particularly the earlier 50 models cars, a heater was an option. Sure. It was not standard equipment. You had to order a heater with a car mm-hmm. or buy a fancier car that had a heater, but it wasn't an automatic thing. And cars before that largely did not have heaters. Right. But what you would have is some kind of a valve and you'd go under the hood and you'd open the valve. Hot water would run through the heater core. Then you turn the fan on to make it work or not work. But realizing you had this hot core inside the car in the summer and a lot of cars didn't have air conditioning sure so you didn't want any additional heat so what they did is just put a little little screw valve Uh and you would just turn it and you know cut it off in the summer and open it in the winter right and that worked just fine didn't give much problem but not exactly convenient for for most people no because it well changed a lot right you had you had to get up underneath the hood and and like you said, physically open and close the valve. Right, and then people had to know where that was. So I guess the next thing they came up with was a cable-driven system where you had some kind of little slide or knob or something on a dash. It worked a cable, which opened and closed a valve. So roughly the same thing. They just put it inside the passenger's compartment, made mm-hmm. it a lot more convenient to right. operate. And a secondary advantage there is you could open and close it a slight amount so you could get some heat. You kind of regulate your heat. Mm -hmm. So it gave you a little bit more regulation. As things evolved on, because the cables were a little hard and they were a little jerky, you know, you had a metal rod, particularly up in the Rust Belt states, that cable would rust up and you couldn't move move it. And So, you know, people complained about that, and they came out with a vacuum-operated system. Vacuum was normal because the engine produces vacuum, so you got a source of power there. Right. All you had to have was a reservoir to hold it. Right, and a little dash pot of some sort. And you, then all you had to do is turn a valve. It would open a vacuum port, duck the vacuum to the dash pot, which would retract and pull the valve open. Well, and, you know, you, you're talking about using vacuum. They used back, vacuum back in the in the 50s for the wiper motors correct well vacuum the wiper is motor there. Was, it's a byproduct of the engine sure the engine has to have vacuum to draw the air into the engine just the way it works it's basically the engine is kind of like a compressor it's producing pressure on one side and vacuum, vacuum on the other side so they had it there right it didn't require any additional sources of energy or any of that kind of stuff it was renewable right, as long as the engine was running you yeah. had vacuum you had your vacuum to operate it and again, they used that for a number of years. In fact, really up until relatively modern times. Mm-hmm. I guess in the early to mid two thousands, they started phasing out all the vacuum systems. Some of them, some cars still had some vacuum. Some yeah, yeah, it was kind and, of a um, a mixture of the two. Right, you'd even see an occasional cable on a handful of cars. But largely since then, they've gone to actuators, which is just a little motor. It's a little stepper motor with gears and that opens and closes a door. Right. Not a motor in the sense that it's spinning, mm-hmm. like a motor, like a wiper motor or a, or a blower motor or something where it turns, but a motor nonetheless where it moves and it moves in steps. Mm-hmm. And these actuators, back by that time frame, they were starting to use them a lot in the industry. They were starting to use them a lot on different things. It was and kind so, of the coming thing. Yeah. The, price of them dropped drastically Mm -hmm. you know an actuator probably in the 1960s i'm sure probably nasa was using them and it were probably a thousand dollars a piece right well by the time they started getting into widespread use they dropped down maybe in the 20 30 dollar range well now they became practical pulling automobiles Mm -hmm. and of course now they're going back up 200 i was just gonna say (laughs) inflation (laughs) but it's a little motor that opens it can turn and it can turn a measured amount it right. turns in amounts of counts and a count might be 256 from one extreme to the other and there's to move 180 degrees maybe 256 counts sure 
So if it can come back half that amount, it knows what position that motor is in. So it's ideal for opening and closing doors, which can duct air. So on the more modern systems, what we have, rather than restricting the coolant flow, now you generally have coolant going through the heater core all, all the of the time. time, but it's mounted in a position in the blower case where the evaporator course to one side, the heater course to the other, and there's a door, normally called a blend door, or doors, and the stepper motor can move it back and forth, so it can blend the air between cold and hot. Correct. So you can get roughly any temperature you want. And the big advantage there is, even during the winter, except for the coldest days, the air-conditioned compressor may run, and that dehumidifies the air in the car. Then it goes through the heater core and heats it back up to a comfortable temperature for the passengers. So now you have dehumidified heated air, mm-hmm. which it makes the defrosters work much, much better. And it's also more comfortable to the passengers in the car. Now, the downside of that is, of course, it requires a lot more circuitry. It, inquire, it requires some sort of a computer to operate it and all these little motors. It also allows them to do cool stuff like dual zone air conditioning where you have the passenger side can be one temperature and driver side can be another. And you may have a little panel on your dash and it'll have two knobs or two buttons and two little display screens. I know my Toyota has that. I can set the temperature on one side to one thing and on the other side to another. And if you want them the same, there's a sync button and you, you push the sync button and you can set them both to the they'll, same they'll temperature. They'll synchronize to each other so you don't have to bother moving two controls. Right. But what it does, you still only have one heater core and it's one temperature, uh-huh. which is the temperature of the engine. And they're blending the air side to side. So if I want my side on 74 and my wife wants hers on 72, I can achieve that. Sure. And there's two separate motors that are going to control that one to one side, one to the other. Many cars even have a rear heat control mm-hmm. or even maybe two on a luxury model. They may have four heat controls total. So each passion rear can also control his temperature sure so it's just variations on the same the same principle principle. really yeah the basic heater core has it changed since they started putting them in in vehicles really not very much i mean the only real difference i could think about was like your old volkswagens and some of your air-cooled cars which are very 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 few the volkswagen beetle was air-cooled sure did not have did not have coolant so they had like a heat exchanger where the exhaust gas would run in heat the air and that would blow past it and heat the car but that's so obscure and so few of those left around right that really no reason to even talk about them on the air very much <laughs> but almost everything works that same way now the thing is the engine has got to get to full operating temperature in order for the heater to work mm-hmm. and many times people will come in and say well my heater doesn't work and it's okay does it not work at all well, no, it doesn't work at all. Okay, so you mean it's blowing outside air. Well, no, it's warm. So they kind of give you a little different thing there. All they know is it's not hot enough. Mm-hmm. So it's important to know, does the heater work at all or does it not work at all? Because that could be two separate things completely. For instance, let's say you have a plugged-up heater core, which happens from time to time. It's like a little radiator, and it sits several months out of the year when it's not being used. The coolant's kind of just sitting around in there. It can gum up. And it can get plugged up. Generally, when that happens, or if you get a pinched hose, or you get a failed motor completely, you're not going to get any hot air at all. Mm-hmm. What it's going to do is going to blow the same temperatures outside. Now, many, many times what you get is it is blowing warm air. It's just not warm enough. Not hot keep, enough. Not hot enough. And that's a separate thing. 
where I'm going with all that, it's very important if you try to diagnose the system yourself, or even if you bring it to the shop, to give the tech enough, the proper enough information and the proper information, right? Because if you want him to find a problem in a timely manner, he has to know what he's going after. And, and best is you could talk to the tech that's going to work on a vehicle right. instead of you know the the service writer or the guy behind the counter. You know, things tend to get misled. It can. Between but three you, or four you, people. You have to be very, very specific in what the car is doing. And that's the true with anything, sure. but this as much as anything else. Because let's say the engine temperature thermostat is not completely closing to block the coolant flow. Well, then what's going to happen is the engine temperature may drop from 200 degrees, which is nice and comfortable in the car, down to maybe 180 degrees now that's only 20 degrees difference but that will make a major major difference in the air coming out of that heater right temperature around 180 will be warm but it's not going to be hot and on a cold day it's not going to feel warm at all now another problem that you may have is that it takes too long to get hot well if you're making mostly short trips you may get in there you turn it on it just doesn't get hot so you tell the shop hey my My heater's heater's not not working at all and, in fact, it is working. It just takes a long time. Instead of maybe four to five minutes to get warm, it may take 20 minutes to get warm. But that goes into a whole nother stream of diagnostics. Sure. Because if it will not blow warm initially, and no car is instantly hot because the engine has to warm up. If it's been sitting out in the driveway or in a garage all 40 night. 40 degrees, 30, yeah. 40 degrees. And, yeah, it's yeah, going to take a while 20 to below up. zero outside. Well, the engine temperature is 20 below zero when you start it. And it's got to heat that water all the way up to 200 degrees, which is going to take some time. Mm-hmm. So in a very cold environment, any yeah. heater may take a while before it starts producing your warm air for you. But if it takes too long let's say it's taking 20 30 minutes but it does eventually get hot okay well then we know the heater core is probably working Mm -hmm. we know the blend doors are probably working because it does eventually get hot so now we're looking more at why is it taking so long to warm up right now we could be again into an engine temperature thermostat we could be into a cooling fan that is defaulted to run so the fan is running all the time because what modern cars do it turns those fans off Right. When, when you crank it up in the morning, the fans are off and the thermostat is shut. So it's going so, to warm up so pretty it, fast. It, they want to warm that motor up as fast as they can. So if you wait that long, you know, if it doesn't warm up in, in enough time, then you, like you say, you start looking for reasons why. Right. Let's say you got a failed fan control module. Well, it may fail and default may be run wide open. So the fans are running wide open. Well, the engine's not going to overheat, so you're not going to see that. Your air conditioner is going to work in the summer, so you're not going to see that. You may have no idea, other than the fact you may hear a little excessive engine noise from the fans running all mm-hmm. the time. But a lot of people just don't that just don't notice that kind of stuff right. that much. So you may have no problem whatsoever that you're aware of during the summer. However, in the winter, now the car takes way too long because this fan is drawing ice cold air through the radiator, which is going to take much much longer to cool it. Hey, we'll talk more about this and whatever you care to hear about as soon as we get back more. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. (laughs) 
But you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, with the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the the Automotive Hour. We appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you have a question or a comment on the show, give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And should you happen to not be in the listening area or the area code area, the area code here in Baton Rouge is 225. There you go. So you can use that to reach us wherever you may be. There you go. <laughs> we, uh, we're talking a little bit about heaters. Uh-huh. And- your climate control systems in cars today and of course any question you may have we're not limited to that topic it's not just at with, all with the cold well i thought it was appropriate kind of a topic and a number of things can keep the heater from working at all one like you said if the heater core were to plug up or the flow is to stop and there's actually a pretty easy way to there is check for that there is and with the invention or the wide use of the infrared thermometer now it's real easy to check you just take the two find the two heater hoses that go into the firewall and check the temperature on each one right they should be close to the same temperature right. there's going to be a little bit of drop in the output side mm-hmm. but they should be close to the same temperature as the radiator hose right and if one is hot and the other one is not then, then you don't have a, you don't have flow you don't have flow and so you know that there's a restriction somewhere a restriction heater cores do plug up it's a little fine fine things in there and especially if you let the coolant go bad on you right if you do not change your coolant often enough then it can corrode up form rust rust can plug little passageways yeah because they're real small passageways they are very tiny smaller even than a radiator and you know you remember back when the the ford had the heat all the heater core trouble yes they actually had too much flow on it right and what it was doing wearing the cores out yeah when the coolant would go in it would actually wear the corners of the the core out Mm -hmm. and they would start leaking right so they Ford came up with a restriction that went in the line to slow the flow down. One of the hoses had a restrictor in it, a little metal mm-hmm. disc with a tiny hole in it, which would slow the water down enough to where it wouldn't wear the core out, but it would still heat the car out. Sure. And what happens is that people would go in and they would change the heater hoses, and they would not realize this restrictor was in there, so they just take a piece of bulk hose, put it, put on. it on there. Well, now the heater cores will start going out. Right. Because there's a certain amount of abrasive, you know, Aluminum oxide is an abrasive. Iron right. oxide is an abrasive. And that's going around with that water. If it's flowing too fast, when those flow channels change direction, it can wear a hole through that core. Oh, easily. It's pretty thin stuff. Easily. And, yeah, that was a pretty common problem way back on the Ford products. I guess it could happen on anything. Sure. Those in particular. But if you stop having flow, be it from a restriction or whatever, another thing that we've seen that really fools a lot of people is that the water pump a lot of water pumps are made out of aluminum or cast iron and the little impella is made out of steel mm-hmm. and i've seen the impellas rust completely away right the little ears on the impeller rust off but there's nothing but a disc turning right so it's not actually making the coolant flow and it may have enough of a impeller left to kind of push water through the radiator and keep the truck or car from overheating too much mm-hmm. but it's not enough to push through the heater core correct 
And that was on Jeeps we see we a did. lot. We uh, did. The little impellers would just rust off if people I, didn't change the coolant. I think we've enough. got one on uh, on the shelf at the shop to as a demonstrator. Yeah, I got one on, on the website somewhere. I put a picture of it that that can actually Yeah, the ears occur. that just wore, slam off of mm-hmm. it. I had a Nissan that did that uh-huh. one time, too. It gave us the devil because the truck was not overheating, but it would and, – and the guy used it mostly for shorter trips. So right. I guess maybe if you used it long enough, it would have been overheated. But the heater didn't work. Mm-hmm. was the problem another real obscure thing that can block the coolant flow some thermostats have more than one diaphragm on them. you have the the big rubber like plunger you, like you would always see on right a, on on an old thermostat where it blocks the coolant flow but someone have a secondary one that blocks the heater port mm-hmm. and that's to keep cold water from running through the heater until the engine warms up and they generally open and close together correct but if something malfunctions that lower one can break or not open the top yeah. one opens so the engine is regulated properly it's just you have no flow through no the, flow to the heater to, through the heater core i think some of the chevy pickups can have that problem right. you got that dual diaphragm type thing i know we had one come in 2007 2008 mm-hmm. no heat at all and you could touch both hoses and neither hose was but really they hot cold. they were warmish from just from residual just, right. flow but they were not hot and so first we assumed possibly a, a heater core problem took the hose off blew through them and it just readily right. blew through so we knew that wasn't the issue and notice that we were not getting flow so naturally first we assumed the water pump might be bad mm-hmm. But you could take the hose off and just crank it over and water would come gushing out. So the water pump was working and finally figured out it was that thermostat had the secondary seat in it and it was stuck shut. Yeah, I believe that one was actually broken. Yeah, it, it had broken, it had broken off so for some reason. When the top opened, it just didn't open the bottom one. Exactly. So you did not get the flow uh, through the heater core. And all these are just different things that can happen. A lot of times people, well, my heater doesn't work, what's wrong? yeah well it's not just it's not that simple nothing is ever that simple and what is particularly i guess exponentially more difficult to diagnose and that is an intermittent no heat Mm -hmm. on the heater for instance you may turn the heater on it blows nice and hot then you go somewhere you turn the car off you come back and you crank it up and Uh, no heat no heat and then later on that day you turn off turn back on again and it's hot again so intermittent anything is going to be much more difficult than when you're when, you know, when a, it's a, broke. a dead man is usually pretty easy to diagnose. Exactly. <laughs> but when you have an intermittent problem like that, it can be fiendishly difficult to find. Well, sure, because when it's working, everything checks good. Right. When you check it, everything's working. So you have to wait until you can duplicate the problem. Then you can diagnose it. Exactly. But those are normally going to be electrical in nature. If it ever gets to full temperature it's sort of like an air conditioner if it ever blows nice cold air there's nothing wrong with the refrigeration the side. refrigeration side is probably okay exactly what we're having i remember a couple of weeks ago we had a uh, caller who called and he said every once in a while his air conditioner wouldn't get hot uh-huh. wouldn't get cold. Cold. it took too long it would sit there and it would not come on but it would eventually start cooling real well and he was talking about recharging the ac and all right, that right see none of that is going to apply if it ever gets cold or if the heater ever gets hot then it's, it is the capable system. the system is working correct and most often if you turn it off turn it back on and it starts working we're into some sort of an electrical issue that's resetting with the key re- uh, cycle with the key cycle now that could be the automatic temperature control module could be some of the door uh, actuators underneath the dash could be an actuator door could be an actuator motor mm-hmm. uh, i mean theoretically it could even be a wire that's making intermittent contact but that's normally going to be something like you're going along everything is bump, good you hit a bump and it quits working and it quits working or yeah. you 
bump on the dash and it starts working again uh, those sorts of things mm-hmm. but yeah intermittent problems like that can really be the devil to figure they out can. now if it's one of the doors even that unless you've got some type of a scan tool that where, can communicate right where you can go in and actually cycle the door from stop to stop and find find home right and see if it's reading see if and, it's doing what it's supposed to do because it may not be that the motor is bad it may be just losing its position and there there again when you cycle the key when you crank the you, vehicle back up you put it in a new world it may home right and everything starts working again well i remember we had one a while back that was just a devil to try to find because every time the guy would bring it in it would it would always work just fine because sometimes my heater just won't work mm-hmm and I noticed that his battery was weak. Right. And I told him, I said, well, you need a new battery. He said, well, what's that got to do with this? I said, well, you know, if the voltage in the system drops while you're cranking the car, it's going to confuse these little motors. Right. And they may not home out. Oh, no, it starts fine. I said, well, it may start fine. Well, it'll start on 8 volts. Right. But the computer system needs 12 to operate correctly, 12 to 14 to operate correctly. Well, that's what it's designed to work on. And what was happening with this particular one, when he went to crank, it would drop the voltage down enough, not every time, but sometimes. And when it did, the motors would get confused, lose right. their counts. All the computer knows is this is supposed to be the home position. So it's going to put it there. Now, if that's all the way closed, you're not going to get any heat or you're not going to get any air, depending on which way it's working. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, I had a, a hard time convincing him that he needed a battery. Yeah. But finally, he relented. We went ahead and put a battery in, and it fixed the total problem. How about that? And like I told him, I said, I can't guarantee this is going to fix your heater problem. But I can't duplicate the heater problem. I can tell you for sure this needs doing. Sure. Because you're going to get stranded. You're also overworking your alternator. You're stressing the starter. You're stressing out the whole electric. So you need a battery, man. Mm-hmm. And so he said, well, go ahead and put one. We put a battery in it, and it fixed the whole problem. And, you know, GM's had that trouble with their Chevy trucks for a while. They've got a bad negative cable, negative cable connection. Mm-hmm. The crimp on it is not that good. Well, and and when it, it went back to the top post batteries. Yeah. You know, they, they the had the side post battery. Yeah, when it went to the Group 48 battery, where it's the top post, it's got like a little step down for whatever reason. On the negative cable, it's a straight crimp okay. into the negative cable. The positive cable has oh, a step down straight. on okay. it because the battery posts are actually turned to the outside of the vehicle right. for whatever reason. I'm not sure what that design was, uh, was for. It may be in a collision. They don't want the battery to short out. Who, who knows, knows what <laughs> reasons they do things they do. But, yeah, that crimp is not done adequately. And, and it, it'll last for... 30, 40, 50,000 yeah. miles sometimes. I've seen them with 100,000 miles. Right. No problems. And then all of a sudden, you start having weird electrical problems. The doors start locking, uh-huh. unlocking, or the headlights start flickering, or the dash lights start flickering. Or the, the heater, like we were speaking the of. Heater the heater doesn't work. Working, air, air conditioner doesn't work. Just weird, weird stuff mm-hmm. that you maybe never relate to that. And the best way to find that is with a voltage drop test. Correct. If you can put a voltmeter across that terminal and then energize something like the headlights or anything that draws, see how much voltage is flowing around that connector. If it's more than a half a volt, you got a problem. Sure. A lot of times, too, you can just touch it. And, and if it's be real warm. hot. If it's warm to the touch, it then you got be. a problem. And we've had people say, well, I'll go get another cable. Well, you can do that, but you're getting the same cable you took off. Exactly. What we found works way better. We've got a machine that will crimp a brand new new end, a new type of end on there. It will not ever have that problem. So we generally cut the ends off and crimp. Crimp. I'm not talking about one of these little bolt-on ends. No. Those those are are bad Those are what they call temporary. Temporary battery ends. Right. Those are bad news for a number of reasons. They are. all kinds of problems. 
But yeah, have someone crimp a brand new factory type in on there, and you can solve a whole lot of those inter- electrical intermittent problems. Yeah, yeah, stuff that you never would even relate back to that, uh, especially if it's a bunch of different problems. Yeah, a lot of times we'll get a car, and that's one of the first things we look for, just because it's so common. Yep, fix that, and then they'll say, "Oh, by the way, it was doing this, and it's not doing that anymore." So, mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got to take one last quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues. Uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. In between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. Still got a few minutes left in the show. And, you know, we were talking about uh, heaters because the temperature has changed. Right. There's a lot of other things that kind of go on this time of year. Well, yeah, you know, traditionally a lot of shops are slower this time of year because when the summer ends, the summer kills so many things. Particularly sure. South, you know, shops in the South. Most of them have at least one, two, three, four techs that do nothing but air conditioning work all day long. Right. And when, when the temperature changes, that kind of goes away too. People till... don't notice their air conditioning not working or many people are not concerned about their air conditioning well, not working. And even if it quit working, they kind of negligate it till, you know, it gets warm again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which kind of speeds things up at that time. Now, one really good thing about the slightly slower time is that you can get your car in generally faster this time of year. You can generally get it back faster. Yep. Now, with Thanksgiving coming up right around the corner. That's a big travel holiday. And Christmas. Both of those are big, big travel holidays. A lot of people want to go home to see their folks sure, or right. whatever. Well, a lot of people have time road. off that time this time of year, and they take trips. Right. A lot of people close the week between the Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving week. week or the week between Christmas and New Year's. Right. The point that I'm trying to make is that you don't wait until that week to, to bring get your, your vehicle, car in right. to get checked. If you're having a problem, if you want to get a general inspection, if you want to get your car checked out for the trip, do it now, early. Now is the perfect time to do it. Well, and there again, if you if you get it done now, you have time if they let's say they find something wrong with the transmission. Right. Well, now you've got time to make different arrangements. Right. Do we fix this one? Will this one last through the year? Do we rent a vehicle to go? Or we're going to buy another car. Exactly. You've got time to get something done before you hit, before you set up to leave. Right. If you wait until the week before Thanksgiving, number one, everybody else in the world is going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So all the shops will be very, very busy. Well, and some of your parts suppliers close for that week, too. So That's parts right. may be a, an parts issue. can become a problem. GM just solved their strike, so they're starting to fill the pipeline back up. But that was getting to be an issue. It was. And get the car in early. You know you're going anyway. Mm-hmm. Let's say you find something that is fairly expensive that you didn't really but, count on. Well, you've got a few weeks to maybe get another couple paychecks in 
to make your vacation a little better if you got to spend all your money up front to get the car going to go on vacation that's right right. and a lot of people for whatever reason don't keep a lot of savings anymore you know i guess a lot of folks just kind of live on whatever they make right which is probably not the wisest thing in the world but just the way the world works and you spend all your money you got to wait for another couple paychecks and you already made plans maybe made reservations maybe put down payments on on a room or a room or a resort right. or whatever you're doing you're going to disney you bought and tickets some of that is non-refundable that's right so you you, you made arrangements to be there you can, and you can be you, in a real nasty situation sure. that could have been avoided had you acted a little sooner mm-hmm. so just kind of a word to the wise this is a good time to bring the car in get it checked even if you're going at christmas time right this is not too far ahead no just no, not at all about that you know, for instance, you go in and they look at the car and they say, well, it's an overall very good shape. However, your tires are eight years old. They're not right. safe any longer. Well, now you may have to purchase another set of tires you weren't expecting because you're looking at them. They got a lot of rubber on them, but they're eight years old. You right. can't take this on the road. And that's, any, that's anywhere from $500, $600 all the way up to $2,000. depending on what kind of depending, car you got right. and what kind of tires you got on it. So, yeah, that's an unexpected expense that could really crimp your vacation sure uh, you may even have to modify your vacation plans you may have to hey I'm, we're going to stay for five days instead of eight yes that's right or, or whatever maybe we're going to stay at the uh, holiday inn instead of the hilton <laughs> whatever exactly change, whatever change you're going to make you're going you're going to swim pool instead of the ocean there you go but yeah the thing is if you've got time to, to respond, get things done yeah uh, another thing that it does if you like paying cash for your repairs you don't like putting them on plastic it gives you a couple of weeks to earn the money to get the repair done. I know mm-hmm. we've got certain customers that maybe they, they listen to Dave Ramsey or whomever, and they just don't like using credit cards, right? which is probably a wise way to go. And unless it's just an absolute life-threatening or car-stopping event, they generally will try to schedule it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll say, well, I'll be back in two weeks, three weeks, whatever. Then they'll set aside some money, come in, and pay for the repair, Sure, which is not a bad way to go. But the point so, is, if you if you do that kind of thing, then you've got time to make to, your arrangements. Right, to have a, have a nice vacation. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing, let's say your car is not, let's say you got an older car with a lot of miles on it, and okay. you just don't feel comfortable about taking your car on the road, or you have a general inspection, and we find several things wrong, doesn't necessarily mean you need a new car. No, not at all. if that car meets your needs daily, and let's say you only live three miles from where you work, your wife has a car also worst case scenario if the car breaks down you you could it would be inconvenient but you can team up and still get to work you can still do what you need you don't necessarily need a new car that car may serve you fine for right. the next five years but it doesn't need to be out on the highway anymore it may not be highway safe so therefore you can make arrangements you could rent a car you could rent a car possibly borrow a car uh-huh maybe make alternate transportation i mean there are buses right. there are trains there are planes there are all kinds of other ways to get the places you want to go other than the car mm-hmm. i know in america the car is king right by, by wide wide margin and i certainly like hopping in my car and going where i want when i want many times people will criticize well, why don't you fly when you i said because i don't mind driving to me the trip the the, the dri- trip is part of the vacation yeah the journey is part of my vacation right and i went to see my buddy in austin texas the other day and he comes to new orleans because he's got a place down here well he always flies uh-huh and i told him i was going to drive he's like well, well I said, Man, that's, that's a short drive that's like six seven hours it's not not a big deal to me right i enjoy the drive i like leaving when i want i like leaving stopping, to come back when i want stopping, stopping when i want yeah that's right 
seeing all the things. You know, we stopped at a couple of little restaurants. We Googled things on the way, way. Yeah. between Austin and Baton Rouge. Just made it part of the vacation. That's right. It was part of the fun. There was a little bakery that we stopped at, a little mm-hmm. German bakery. We had, we had a good time. But to me, that that's what I like doing. But, you know, you can also, I mean, you could take a train. Let's say you're going up to Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Well, there's a train that runs between New Orleans and Chicago. That's very convenient. I mean, you hop on a train, buzz right on up there, and be back pretty yeah. timely. So all kinds of other ways you can go just in case uh, the, your, it doesn't work out. Yeah, your regular plans don't work out. So, But the, the point is you got to have time to, to figure all these things out. Right. And now would be the great time to, to get that done. Well, that's right. Particularly, like I said, with, with a lot of shops in the slower mode, they can get to it. They can get it back faster. They can get it in faster. Mm-hmm. They can probably get it in on the day that you want to get it in. Right. As opposed to waiting. Having to wait. Mm-hmm. So I see we're getting kind of short of time. Still got a few minutes, but uh, just about winding on up get ready to get on out of here like thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service whichever that might be Mm -hmm. uh find a written view and fill it out for us hey we really appreciate it when you do that we do number one it lets us know we're doing a good job and number two when someone goes in types in some generic term like auto repair podcast then the ones with the most ratings and the best ratings uh, come up close to the top of the list and people tend to click the ones they on the do. top of the list, just like Google. First page. Yeah, you're not going to go through 25 pages looking find, for if you find something on the first page. Right. So these are the reasons this is very important to us, and just kind of a way to say thank you. If you appreciate the show, we appreciate you doing it. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.